Sales Paradise, Episode 3. Do unto others the way they want to be done unto. And uh, that's how you deliver more value in selling. If you want to learn how to love every day of your sales career, you're in the right place. This is Sales Paradise. Now here's your host, our dad, Chandler Barron. <laughs> On today's episode of Sales Paradise, we have a fellow acoustic guitar player, Jim Cathcart. Jim is an expert in leadership development, sales, motivation, and also one of the things, he's actually written 18 books. Uh, some you probably recognize, The Acorn Principle, Relationship Selling, Self-Motivation Handbook, and, and actually, Jim, I'm reading here about a, you being a TEDx speaker and getting in the top 1%, uh, over yep. 1 million views. Well, I did in uh, 2013, I think it was. I, I went to Delray Beach, Florida, and I did a um, TEDx talk to about, about 400 people or so, and there were 16 of us speakers at the event, and each one just had a few minutes. I did an eight-and-a-half-minute talk titled how to believe in yourself. They posted it online along with all the other videos. And out of those 16 speakers, for some reason, mine, even though it wasn't a magical performance or anything, I guess maybe it was the title or the length of the speech, it, it started really catching on. And it has averaged for the last four years 1,000 views a day every single day. Wow. It's a million, 288,000 views today as we speak. That's just amazing. What do you think's going on there? Do you really have that many family members you keep in touch with? Well, yeah, it's mostly inside family. Yeah. <laughs> now, I have no clue. I really don't. It's one of those lightning in a bottle things. And that places it out of 100,000 plus TEDx videos on YouTube, this this is in the top 200. How many more distant relatives? Yeah. Well, Jim, I got so caught up uh, just talking that I have not even officially uh, welcomed you to the show. Welcome to Sales Paradise. Thank you. Well, tell me, Jim, how did you get into sales and then transition to actually speaking about sales? Got into sales, you know, first started selling things when I was a little kid, you know, doing like yard sales and things like that, selling donuts door to door in my neighborhood and that kind of thing, selling newspapers and having a newspaper route. But then when I got married in 1970, forever ago, most of our listeners probably weren't born by then. <laughs> and um, anyway, uh, I got married in 1970, and my first job was selling mutual funds and life insurance for IDS, Investor Diversified Services. And I failed. I, I sold for two years at just about break-even level on my monthly expenses. So I wasn't making anything. Finally, I said, okay, I'm done. And so I took a part-time job at a car dealership selling cars because you could get that uh, easily and they'd pay you minimum wage and give you a demo to drive so I could sell my car and get rid of the car payment. So I was you know, newly married about a year and a half into it and, and just really miserable because I'd failed at selling and here I was selling cars. And of course, I failed at that. And uh, the, the dealer called me and he said, Jim, you remember last month we fired two guys because they were the lowest in sales? I said, yeah. He said, well, this month 
you're the lowest in sales, so you're fired. Actually, what he said was terminations are seldom pleasant. And I said, I'm being fired? And he said, yeah. And then he explained they always fired whoever was last. I said, well, how's that work? He said, well, that's just what we do. And I said, well, why don't you just train me to do better? And he said, no, that's not how we work. So I went to work in a friend's grocery store and, and spent a few months just trying to figure out what I wanted to do when I grew up. Took a government job as a clerk for $525 a month. And I was, you know, here I was a 26-year-old kid. No, uh, 20, let's see, three, four, 20, 23 or four. And um, I was miserable and didn't know what I wanted to do for a living. I had a new wife and son at home. She was a secretary and I was working in this government clerkship at a, a housing authority in Little Rock, Arkansas. And our son was a baby and I was overweight by about 50 pounds, two pack a day smoker, no college degree, no money in the bank, no connections in the community and very little hope of ever doing anything major because I'd never been an athlete or, an, or a scholar or anything like that. My dad was a telephone repairman, a good man, but not, you know, not a leader that I could follow. So one day I was just sitting there bored because I had a dead-end job. I was assistant to a man that wasn't very busy. And the radio's playing in the next room, and there was a show like yours. A guy named Earl Nightingale, who at the time was on 900 radio stations around the world. He was considered the dean of personal motivation. And that day in 1972, what he said made an imprint on me that is still with me to this day. He said, if you will spend one extra hour every day studying your chosen field, in five years or less, you'll be a national expert in that field. Well, Chandler, that hit me like a ton of bricks. I said, wait a minute. Hour, I'm a government clerk. I got eight hours a day. What do I want to be an expert at? You know, and I th I'm thinking an hour a day, I really could do that. And an hour a day for five years is more than 1,200 hours. So, wow, what one thing could I study that would really bring me joy and make my life better? And I thought, I want to do what the guy on the radio is doing. I want to help people grow. But I didn't know what that meant. It just felt right. So I kept thinking about that. And finally, I decided, you know, I'll just follow his, his um, directions. I will spend an hour or more every day studying the field of personal development. And that was at the beginning of what later became known as the personal or the human potential movement. It was all about personal growth, and that had become the big, big popular thing around the nation at the time. Yeah. And so I consumed all the classic books like Think and Grow Rich and The Power of Positive Thinking and How to Win Friends and Influence People and, you know, things like that. And I was listening to recordings when I could get them, and some were on records and some were now on cassettes, which were new at the time. And that tells you how long ago that was. And... Then I started going to seminars, and there weren't many seminars. There certainly were no public seminar companies where you could go sign up easily. And the Internet didn't exist, at least as far as the public knew. It was only a military thing back then. So I, I just had to talk to people that seemed to have their act together and ask questions and then follow their directions. And I became absolutely fanatical. Now, I don't mean fanatical in a casual sense. 
I mean, look it up in the dictionary, fanatical. That's how I became about personal development. It's all I wanted to talk about, think about, or be around for five consecutive years. Two years into that, doing all these things after working on weekends, I got a job opportunity to lead training seminars for someone else. And then I started selling Earl Nightingale's motivational materials door to door to businesses. And then I got into my own business and I was doing seminars and teaching techniques I had learned from other people. And shortly thereafter, I started writing my own workbooks and then books and and, uh, recording programs. And I met a man in California when I was in San Diego speaking. And he was a college professor, Dr. Tony Alessandra. And he said, so you're, you're working as a speaker full time? And I said, yeah. He said, wow, how's that doing? I said, well, I'm doing close to 100 engagements a year, and I'm getting paid up to $1,000 a speech. He said, oh, my God. And that was back then. A lot more than I'm making as a college professor. Even if I became department head, I wouldn't be making that much back then. He said, let's, let's be partners. <laughs> So we shook hands, and I was in Oklahoma at the time. I'd moved from Little Rock to Tulsa, Oklahoma. He was in San Diego, and we formed Cathcart, Alessandra, and Associates, and our business just took off. So I realized I could live anywhere they had an airport, and I moved to San Diego. And Tony and I moved into an office together, and he left the university, and we became a company and full-time. And for five years, we were writing books and recording programs, and one day— Earl Nightingale called our office in San Diego, and I answered. No way. Yeah, I answered the phone, and I heard his voice, and I, I got chills all over. He said, "May I speak to Jim Cathcart?" And I said, <laughs> "Which translated means this is he. How may I help you?" I was overwhelmed. He said, "This is Earl Nightingale, and uh, I just read an article of yours that I think would make a good recorded album." Wow. And I said, "Well, it is a recorded album." He said, I published those. I said, oh, believe me, I know. (laughs) And he said, if you will send me your album, if we like it, we'll publish it. So I sent it to him and he liked it. And he said, if you'll re-record it to our specifications, we'll publish it. Nightingale Conant Corporation in 1984 published Relationship Strategies by Jim Cathcart and Tony Alessandra. Now, in 1972, I heard him on the radio. In 1974, I was selling his materials door to door. In 1984, he was selling mine, and he sold three and a half million dollars worth in two years. Wow. At the point when you heard him on the radio and you decided, okay, this is what I want to do. Yeah, can you imagine if someone would have said, okay, 12 years from now, he's going to be selling your stuff? Yeah, that's... That's beyond mind-boggling. Now, when you made that decision originally, did you have any times of doubt where you thought, okay, look, this is ridiculous. Here I am in Little Rock, Arkansas. Well, I'm not sure if you were in Little Rock at the time. Yeah, yeah, I was. I was in Little Rock, Arkansas. I was working as a, as a low-paid clerk at the Little Rock Housing Authority, and my boss was not busy enough to need an assistant, and so I was bored to tears. Well, I also joined the JCs, the Junior Chamber of Commerce, which was real big back then, 350,000 members. And it's like Rotary or Lions, you know, it's a civic club for younger people. And so I was doing projects in the community and learning the the skills that they teach in JCs. 
leadership skills. So that was going on for free in the evenings and on weekends. And those people liked personal development. So they were into it like I was. And I found my, my I guess you'd call it a mastermind alliance um, of other people that were studying the same path as me. But I was far more fanatical than most. So my advancement came quicker. I don't think I ever had second thoughts. I, I knew this was the direction I wanted to go, but I didn't know enough about it yet. And, uh, you know, I've had people ask me, what if you had failed? Well, I did fail. Lots. Lots of things I tried didn't work. You know, I failed in, in those two sales jobs. Well, now I'm one of the world's leading authorities on selling. What? Yeah. I've written nine books on sales, and some of them are used as college textbooks. I've been inducted into the Sales and Marketing Hall of Fame in London. I've been uh, inducted into the Professional Speakers Hall of Fame by the National Speakers Association, received the Golden Gavel Award from Toastmasters International, which Earl Nightingale also received, and so did Zig Ziglar and most of my heroes over the years. I've been president of the National Speakers Association, written 18 books and delivered 3,100 speeches for thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars all around the world and completed a round the world trip in the year 2017. And I speak every year in China as well as the USA. Good Lord, you know, wow. But that's a really important point for everyone to, to understand. I mean, there you were when you were younger, you were the lowest performer at the time. Yeah. I mean, you were let go of your job, and mm -hmm. and right now there's probably a lot of people out, you know, listening that are struggling, and and it just shows what you went from that point in your life at the low point, and then you basically focused on where you wanted to go. And I'm I'm reading here in one of your bios, um, you were actually listed as one of the top sales influencers in 2014, 15, and 16. I mean, it just shows that what basically that focus and dedication can do. Uh, maybe it's a matter of someone even choosing a slightly different type of cell or, or just deciding to really educate themselves on where they want to go. Well, it's, it, you're absolutely right. It's the snowball effect. You know, you, you do what your heart tells you you'd love to do a little at first, and you do it awkwardly at first, and you do it poorly for a while, and then you do it better, and you keep getting better little by little by little, and it all starts to add up and you keep a grateful heart and an open mind and a willingness to work hard, and it keeps you going forward, and you learn from everybody and learn from every experience, and you never assume you're through. You know, I'm 71 years old, and and I'm still going great guns and, and firing on all cylinders and just did a, a two-day photo shoot with a professional photographer friend, <laughs> the other day that's going to revitalize my website. And, and uh, I just released a new book in China called What to Do When You Are the Speaker, and it's in Mandarin and English. And I'm going back there in May, going back again in November. Uh, I spoke in Poland recently to 5,000 people. I write articles every week. I serve on boards of directors. I'm the entrepreneur in residence at Cal Lutheran University School of Management, Center for Entrepreneurship. Um, and it goes on and on and on. I do 100 push-ups a day, and I run mountain trails three days a week with a group of friends. Well, you'd think I was a 30-year-old by hearing all that. And when I was a 30-year-old, I was doing things like that. But in my 20s, I was basically a, a, a loser who was a nice guy. Well, you know what's ironic is when you see me exercise, you would think I'm a 70-year-old. 
So it's very similar to. <laughs> so we're, we're very similar. In, in a, <laughs> very good. <laughs> no, but that's. Uh, um, I'm, I'm talking about all these things that I've been blessed to, to experience. And it may sound like, oh, my God, Jim's full of himself. Well, I, I don't mean to come across that way. I'm just saying I started with virtually nothing except a loving family and a lot of ambition, but no no teachers telling me, oh, my God, you're gifted, or no other people saying, here, come with me, son, and I'll show you the way to succeed. None of that going on. I didn't have a mentor. I had to go find them and get a piece of a mentor here and there. But I just decided I would succeed and never gave up. And it's kind of like when I quit smoking in 1974, January 25th, but who's counting? <laughs> um, I said, I will never smoke again as long as I live. And people say, oh, you're trying to quit. No, I, I'm done. Yeah, but what if, what if you can't? Well, that's, that's impossible. I have. No, I mean, what if it's really hard? You know, oh, well, I expect it'll be really hard. And it was for about three months. I was totally miserable. But after that three months, I was permanently a non-smoker. And I will never, ever smoke again as long as I live. How do I know? Because I committed to that path. It's kind of like when I, after being kind of overweight and, and occasionally fat, most of my younger life, younger adulthood, I decided at, in 1974, 75, excuse me, I decided to stop dieting and become a slender person. Now, there's a huge difference between the two. I had been a successful dieter half a dozen times, lost 20 or more pounds every time, but I always gained it back. So I said, okay, what's the difference between people who are slender and me? Well, they don't diet. It's not that they don't need to occasionally, but they don't, that's not their life strategy. They are slender people and they behave like slender people. I am a slender person who used to be fat and is about to become so again if I'm not careful. So I need to stop behaving and thinking and feeling like a fat person and start behaving, thinking and feeling like a slender person. And that means food needs to take a different place in my life. And these exercise and activity needs to take a different place in my life. I need to stop thinking myself as someone who's just currently not fat. It, it took a year or longer to reprogram my own thinking to figure out how to be a slender person. And I've got a 30 inch waist now compared to the 36 plus waist I had back then. Well, what you're saying is important for many things in life as, as far as your health or I'm even just thinking about a sales rep. Regardless of their age, if they want to become something better or become an award winning sales rep, it's important to have that mindset. And as you wanted to start thinking like a slender person, or you wanted to start thinking like someone that could get up and speak in front of thousands of people, yeah. there were these certain things that were in place that you knew needed to change. I, sure did. I had years of low expectations to overcome. My own low expectations. I didn't expect to make a difference in the world. Well, Jim, tell me this. Do you feel like anyone that sets their mind to it can become a star salesperson? A really successful one. Yeah, yeah, they can, but that, it, that doesn't mean their style will be like other people. You know, the, a friend of mine, uh, Matthew Pollard, just wrote a brand new book called The Introvert's Edge. 
And it's all about how he, as an introvert, became a top-performing multimillionaire salesperson and how any introvert can do the same thing by focusing on what an introvert would be good at instead of trying to become an extrovert. And uh, that was the thing. I, I spent hundreds of hours listening to the recordings of Earl Nightingale just to embrace a new type of thinking about the world, about business, about myself, about success, about other people. And I spent so many hours listening to those recordings over and over and over again. And that's why podcasts like this are so vitally valuable to people. If you're not tuning in regularly, I mean, you know, like like you take vitamins all the time, regularly every day or every few days listening to recordings like this, then you won't be getting the inputs that will alter your worldview and your self-view. And until those change, your circumstances won't. That's a very good point. Uh, now it's so easy compared to it was like when you were younger. I had to carry around cassette player and cassettes and extra batteries. Yeah, things have changed quite a bit. <laughs> No <laughs> Jim, my friend, you know what that music means? That means it is time for the last call lightning round questions. Jim, are you ready for the lightning round? Okay. Tell us a favorite book that you would recommend to the audience other than one of your own. No, I have, wait a minute. I got 18 of my own to recommend. <laughs> uh, I, one that I would recommend to everybody is Og Mandino's book. The Greatest Salesman in the World. Whether you want to sell or not, doesn't make any difference. It is a wonderful book. And another one of a similar type. Both of these are story books where it tells a, a, in a parable all the life truths that, that it conveys. The other one is Live a Thousand Years by Giovanni Levera, L-I-V-E-R-A. Fabulous books. And since you have 18, uh, let's go ahead and pick one of your own. It's like you basically have written a library yourself. Sure. Well, Relationship Selling, The Eight Competencies of Top Sales Producers, is about the, all the skill sets required to approach selling in a way that you treat relationships as assets instead of thinking of relationships as just being nice to people. Relationships are things, you know, a relationship is a direct connection between people in which value is exchanged. And if you understand relationships that way, then you see that by delivering more value, you make the relationship stronger and worth more to both parties. But most people look at it from the standpoint of gaining customer loyalty. I don't think we should even think that thought. I think we should look to give customer loyalty. If I'm the provider and you're the customer, I should be loyal to you. You've paid for that privilege. And I should find ways to be continuing loyal to you uh, through services, ideas, communication that I, that I share with you. And uh, if two people are going to exchange value, they need to understand what each person values. Because if I keep giving you gold and diamonds and what you value is personal attention, then I'm cheating you out of what you're wanting. If I'm giving you personal attention and what you want is tangible things like gold and diamonds, I need to find a way to get gold and diamonds for you. So find out what the other person values 
and give that to them. It's like in a love relationship, you know, you could say, well, I've been, I've been buying you things for years and yet you're telling me you don't feel loved. Well, some people only feel loved when they're being nurtured or when they're having direct personal attention paid to them. Other people feel loved when you bring them a gift or take them to lunch or whatever. You know, so find out how the other person wants to be treated, what Tony Alessandra calls the platinum rule, do unto others the way they want to be done unto. And uh, that's how you deliver more value in selling. Yeah, it's like the key change of words would be gain instead of give. Yeah. Now I'm really starting to rethink that Christmas gift I gave to my mom, a basketball. There you go. Um, <laughs> I probably wasn't giving her what she wanted. Yeah, like, like giving, giving the husband a lawnmower or giving a wife a, uh, a washing machine. Yeah. <laughs> nice, if, if you're sure that's what they're going to consider valuable. Not too cool if, if you don't. Okay, now, Jim, now I want you to quote your favorite quote. Yeah, and I've got a zillion of them, but one that stands out above most of them is Zig Ziglar's quote. Zig told me, and he's he used often in his speeches as well. Zig was a friend of mine. He said, um, you can get everything you want in life if you just help enough other people get what they want. Yeah, that's really powerful. Isn't that brilliant? Well, here's a question that's a first. Uh, I'll go ahead and ask you this since you're really into music. Uh, what is your favorite song? Wow. I, oh, that's hard. <laughs> and that was a surprise I, question I, there. <laughs> when I'm performing with my wife and my friend Dave, who plays lead guitar, uh, I'm playing guitar and singing, and my wife's singing along with me. And we, we call ourselves Resume the Boom. And Resume, spelled R-E-Z-O-O-M, Resume the Boom is our, our music website, guitarmusiclive.com is also the way to get to it. We play the baby boom music. That's what the boom is about. You know? Oh, yeah. And uh, so it's the late 50s, the full 60s and early 70s. And man, everything from Glenn Campbell to James Taylor to the Beatles to Elvis to Jim Croce and, you know, on and on and on. Simon and Garfunkel, Peter, Peter Paul and Mary. Beach. A lot of the good acoustic um, yeah. music there. Yeah. Yep. I like it. Well, now that we're at the end of the interview, what is the takeaway message for the group? Um, if you approach selling as a way of helping people and you understand that it has to be done at a profit, otherwise you'll have to stop, um, that pretty much makes everything else work. But it, you see, you're only going to be able to sell to the extent that others believe you're able to help. So work on you. Become more knowledgeable, become more caring, become more disciplined and professional, become more aware, more of an observer and a listener. And as you become more and more of the person who you want to be, you will attract more and more of the future you want to live. So be the person who is a magnet to the future that you want to be yours. Nice. Excellent words of wisdom. Well, Jim, before we wrap up, uh, for everyone that wants to get in touch with you or, or find out more about you, what's the best way? Yeah, Cathcart.com, Jim Cathcart. Uh, Cathcart.com is the easiest way. I'm all over Facebook and LinkedIn and uh, YouTube and uh, Twitter, you know, so it's it's really easy. But go to Cathcart.com, just subscribe to my, my weekly email message. It's a one-page message that can be read in one minute, and it's not... Uh, a 
a trap that gets you into an advertising loop spam. It's just a gift from me. And uh, it's my way of staying connected. All right. Well, thanks again. And everybody remember, Jim is the person with over a million relatives <laughs> that watch. In years, yep. <laughs> well, Jim, thanks so much for joining us here in Sales Paradise. Right. 